Well, this is the last week in our series, uh, Your Work, and um, hope you've been encouraged to think about your work through the lens of the gospel and what it means to approach work as somebody who's following Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the work itself. We talked about the creative kinds of work that we do, the sustaining kind of work that we do, and the redeeming kind of work that we do. So Just in the way that God is creator, sustainer, and redeemer, we are made in the image of God. And so what we do in this world bears those same marks. We create things. That's a beautiful thing we get to do. And it's part of the image of God in us. And and we sustain things. And we we redeem broken things. And whenever we're doing those, it's, it's like we're getting tangibly to participate in the created world that God made that points ultimately to his glory. And so part of life, part of being a human being, part of living is being able to do those things. It's, it's precious and meaningful. And today what I'd like to do is shift just a little bit and talk not so much about the work that we do, but about the workplace. Because almost all of us find that when we go to do our work, we're, we're in community with others. And it's a, it's, a, it's a dynamic community. It's changing constantly. There are all different kinds of people there. We see them on a daily basis. Sometimes it feels like we spend more time with those people than with anybody else. And so we need to think about what does it mean to, to navigate those relationships well and in a way that honors Christ. And so um, this morning, uh, what I'd like to do is think a little bit about the example of Jesus. What was Jesus in the world? How was Jesus in the world? How did he move through this world? Uh, And and, and then uh, as we think about that, as we're the body of Christ, to learn some lessons on how we can move through the world in relationships and particular thinking about our workplace. Now, um, we're going to be looking um, at a number of different scriptures today. And so um, if you would like to uh, have a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll, we'll pass one to you. Um, I will say that this morning I am going to put a number of these uh, up on, on the screen uh, because we're going to be looking at so many of them. Um, I thought it would be uh, more efficient to do that. But uh, if you'd like to raise your hand, if you need a Bible, we're going to be kind of honing in at least on one part on Ephesians 1 so you could turn your, in your scripture to there. Uh, and then the others will we'll be bringing in. But what I wanted to do is, is kind of a synthesis sermon where we're bringing together uh, different uh, ideas throughout uh, the Old Testament and New Testament, sort of getting a big bird's eye view at the nature of who Jesus is. So who is Jesus in the world? And, and people have asked this question uh, over and over again. And how do we get our mind around it? It's such a large question. It's so overwhelming. Um, thankfully, in the scriptures, we have a couple of handles, a few handles to be thinking about who Jesus is. Uh, in the Old Testament, we have these offices, the, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And what we find is in the New Testament, Jesus inhabits those three offices in sort of the perfect way. So uh, in, we, have, we have prophets in the Old Testament, we have priests in the Old Testament, we have kings in the Old Testament, but none of them are, are, are what they were intended to be. They all fall short, and Jesus comes on the scene into the, in the New Testament, and he inhabits all of those together. And this concept of prophet, priest, and king, and Jesus being prophet, priest, and king goes all the way back to about 300 uh, AD, right after you know, Jesus was around. Eusebius first kind of talked about it, but then it's got this strain all the way throughout church history. We've come back to, the church has come back to over and over again, this concept that Jesus is prophet, priest, 
and kings. So people like Calvin talked about it, John Wesley, um, Luther to some degree uh, talked about it. You find this very, very important thread, and it's instructive for us, uh, I hope you'll see, as we think about who we are in the world. So let's think about Jesus, first of all, as prophet, priest, and king. To understand, uh, we need to define these terms a little bit. And so uh, let me put up uh, the first one, prophet. Um, Prophet is sort of like the mouthpiece of God. If you want to think about a prophet in terms of Spatially, the prophet is, is looking towards the people of God, speaking on behalf of God to the people of God. Almost like looking down from heaven. That's, that's the angle of the prophet. The prophet speaks the word of God to the people of God. The priest, on the other hand, has sort of an opposite stance. The priest is looking with the people up to God to intercede on behalf of the people to make possible the relationship between God and his people, the people that he's called. So when I was in Russia one time, I went into a church service, and the priest was doing everything with his back to the congregation. And I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? It's like he's leading us towards God. So when I came back, I tried to get our worship leader at the time to turn around and lead worship with his back to us like this, but he wouldn't do it. But um, you get the idea. There's this kind of coming to us, uh, and then there's this idea of, of us going to God. And the, the prophet and the priest bring both of those. And then you have this third one, which is the king. And the king leads. The king leads with authority, but leads forward. The king is sort of facing forward. So if you want to think directionally, the prophet is looking down, the priest is looking up, and the king is looking forward to lead the people of God on mission. And as it turns out, we need all three of these. And as it turns out, Jesus is all three of these. So Jesus is prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God. He's in the line of Moses. He's in the line of Elijah or Isaiah. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says of himself, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. The prophet's often rejected. Jesus was rejected. He refers to himself. He envisions himself as a prophet. And he even goes to Jerusalem understanding this is his role. So Jesus is prophet. And in John, it says in multiple ways that he speaks the words of the Father. What he says, God is saying through him. And so he's got that prophetic voice. Jesus is prophet. But Jesus is also a priest. He's our intercessor. Um, Psalm 110 talks about Jesus being a priest, or the Messiah, excuse me, being the priest, the one who would come being the priest forever in the line uh, of Melchizedek. Um, So we know that there's one who's to come, and Jesus is that one who ends up coming. We identify him as that. Hebrews um, 4, 14 says... Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And and you see that intercessory role of Jesus there. He passes through to the heavens. He passes through to, to bring the people to God. He's the great high priest, Jesus is. And as such, the, the, the priest is the example of what life is supposed to be. That's what the priest starts off doing. But then the priest stewards the intercession for when we fail to live up 
to God's standard. So uh, the scripture that was read this morning was about being perfect. Uh, the scripture that was read earlier by Brenda, it says at the very end, be perfect like your father in heaven. Well, we can't be perfect. Um, and because we can't, we need somebody to intercede for us. And so the priest is the steward of that intercession. So in the Old Testament, the priest would be the one to offer the sacrifices which would atone for the sin of human beings so that the relationship with God could be restored and could be maintained because people were not living in the way that God intended them to live. In the New Testament, what happens is is you have Jesus who is the perfect example. He's the, the perfect human being. He does everything the way that God intended for us to do them, do it. And, and then, at the end of his life, he becomes a sacrifice. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the, it had to be the perfect lamb that without blemish. Jesus is the lamb without blemish in the New Testament who offers himself a living, who offers himself a sacrifice for our sin, to atone for our sin perfectly once and for all so that there would never have to be any more sacrifices again. And so that's why that whole structure around the temple disappears after Jesus comes because Jesus offers this very, very perfect sacrifice and afterwards there's no sacrifice needed. So, so he's the priest. He stewards the, the ministry of intercession and then he actually becomes the sacrifice offering himself uh, as, as an atoning sacrifice. So by the way, if the whole Christian faith is kind of new to you and you're exploring what it means to be a Christian, this is the area for you to focus in on to begin with. Um, If you want to begin a relationship with God, you have to address and deal with the sin in your life, all the ways that you've turned away from God and fallen short of his glory. Uh, And the way that you address that sin is by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offered himself an atoning sacrifice. When we come to him in faith, that's our human response to God, and trust in Jesus Christ as our atoning sacrifice, then the Bible says that our sins are are washed away. And that the way to God, the, the opening to God is there for us because of what Jesus has done. And when we place our faith in Jesus, we're restored in in relationship to God. And now everything else that we talk about, all the blessings, the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit at work in us, um, all of that uh, becomes part of our inheritance as a result of what Jesus has done. So if this is new to you, if you're kind of dipping your toe in the water, this is that just know that's the first step. That's your main question. Do I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ this morning? as my savior, the priest that I need to open the way to heaven for me. All right, so Jesus is prophet, Jesus is priest, and then Jesus is king, foretold in the Old Testament. And then if we look in Ephesians 1, we'll see this kind of language uh, about Jesus. Um, it's, Paul is writing and he's talking about the incredible power that was at work in Jesus when God raised him from the dead, which, by the way, was just a sign that God had overcome sin. Death came in because of the presence of sin. So when sin was truly overcome, then death can be overcome. That's what the resurrection means. That's how it all fits together. Well, that power was at work that raised Jesus, at work in Jesus. Um, Paul describes it in Ephesians 1, verse 20. The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is royal language. This is kingly language. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. See, this is kingly language. This is who Jesus is. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is king. He's the one who leads us forward. So he starts off as prophet and he's teaching. And then as priest, he becomes the sacrifice that we all need. And then he's the king that we all long for who will lead us into the promised land in a sense, who will lead us forward, the authoritative king who will lead us in to become the community that God intends for us to become. Jesus is prophet, he's priest, and he's king. And, And wherever Jesus' reign is manifest on earth right now, we say that's the kingdom of heaven. That's the kingdom of God present with us already. And yet we look forward to a time when Jesus will return and he will fully actualize this kingdom, making it a reality here on earth. And so these three, the prophet, the priest, and the king, they intertwine in Christ in a perfect way. They intertwine in Christ. Um, And in the culture, um, we have the prophet and the priest and the king. Oftentimes we have different kinds of of people who... um, who sort of inhabit slightly these different uh, offices. And, 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 and we find this longing inside of us as human beings. Um, but they never combine with such perfection as they do in the person of Jesus Christ. He meets all of our deepest longings. You ever, ever wonder why we're so obsessed about fame? We're so obsessed about you know, who's president. We're so obsessed about who's winning the awards or who's in the news. Why are these things so interesting to us? Because deep down inside of us, there is a longing for someone to inhabit that office perfectly. To be the prophet, the priest, and the king. To speak words of wisdom. To intercede on our behalf to lead with authority. Deep inside of us, we all have this this longing. And it it works itself out in all kinds of ways, sometimes unhealthy, in our obsessions and our interests with what's going on in the world. But Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills all of that perfectly as the perfect prophet, priest, and king. So this is who Jesus is in the world. He's prophet, priest, and king. It's how he influenced. It's how he moved through the world. It's how he, he made changes in the world. And it shapes who we are in the world, which is the second part of what we were going to talk about this morning. Who are we in the world? We are the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So together we're the body of Christ and individually we're the very different parts of Christ. In fact, what it means to be a Christian is to be a little Christ. That's what that term actually means. It's the calling on our lives to be like Jesus. And that includes in the way that he is prophet, priest, and king. We'll never be the prophets and the priests and the kings 
like Jesus, but we will reflect the nature of who he is in our lives. We have a prophetic ministry. We have a priestly ministry. We have a king, a royal ministry. And the Bible talks about these. So we are prophet, Acts 2, verses 16 through 18. Peter is quoting the Old Testament prophet Joel about what's happening in the new church as it's being birthed, as the Holy Spirit is coming on the people and they're beginning to prophesy. And he says this, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And the people of God from that point are scattered. They're sent out all around to to share the message of the gospel. They become a kingdom of prophets in a sense. They're scattered to proclaim. So we are prophets, but we are also priests. Listen to the language, the priestly language in Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so as we present ourselves to God and live out the Christian life, which entails all kinds of sacrifices, we're serving in a kind of a priestly ministry in the world. We, meet, we go to the hard places. That's the call. We're to go to the hard places and to be present there and to offer ourselves sacrificially. And we're royalty. Exodus 19 talks about the kingdom of priests. And, and then when we go all the way to the end of the New Testament in Revelation 22, the heavenly citizens reign. It says they reign forever with God. And in 1 Peter 2.9, we have all of this sort of put together. But you, speaking to us, speaking to the people of God, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, there's the prophetic piece, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right there, you've got all three. You've got the royalty, you've got the priesthood, and you've got the proclamation. Prophet, priest, and king in that verse. This is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And our ministry involves all of those, the prophetic and the priestly and the royal. Now, this is an identity thing, right? This is an identity issue that we're grappling with this morning. Who are you, fundamentally? That's the question. Who are you? And 1 Peter 2.9 says you're part of a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession, for God's possession. It's, it's a treasured possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is who you are. It's about then seeing yourself in a new kind of a way. This is a fundamental part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. To follow Jesus Christ is about seeing yourself in a fundamentally new way. 
It's an identity thing. Now, I know you. I've spent time with you all. I know that you are really a thoughtful kind of bunch of people and a humble group of people. I'm struck by how self-effacing you tend to be. Um, very, very, very good at evaluating yourself, you know. Yeah, when you hang out with the people in this church, you know, kind of, oh, I'm not so good at that, you know. A lot of humility, um, a lot of recognition of uh, imperfections. Um, you know, I, I, I always hear, I struggle with this area, or I'm not good at this particular thing. And there kinds of be this tendency that I experience with us where we sort of regulate our Christian zeal, right, according to how well we're living out the life of faith. And so there are moments when we got up, there are days when we got up and we read our Bible and we prayed and we feel really good about ourselves. And so we'll be more zealous about our faith. And then there are days where it just didn't go like that. We forgot. Um, we got up late. We tried, but we got distracted. And then we start to feel like, well, maybe our faith isn't so great today, and we'll just regulate down a little bit and not be so zealous about our faith. Um, and we're sort of in this swinging back and forth, and it, and it depends on how things are going. If, if we got in a fight with somebody recently, you know, then we won't ever let anybody know that we're Christians because... <laughs> You know, we wouldn't, we, we're not really at this moment because we've behaved properly. Um, and it just sort of swings and it toggles back and forth depending on how we're doing and how we're living and, 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 and what does it look like on the outside. Um, and I get the humble part of that, okay? I get that a lot of that comes out of a sense of humility and a recognition that we fall far short of what God has called us to. That when he says, be perfect, we're not perfect. I get that, that that's a beautiful thing, that kind of humility. But here's the problem with that mindset. It ultimately is based on works. It's based on works. If I'm doing the right things, if I'm living out the right things, then, then I'll feel good about my faith. And I'll, and I'll live it out more fully. And if I'm not, then I, I won't. I'll, 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 I'll diminish it. I'll just kind of put it into the background to make sure nobody catches me in this moment. Where, I'm, where things aren't perfect, right? But God comes at this from a totally different angle. He approaches us not with works, but with, with grace. This sense that this is your identity, this is who you are. What it says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You don't get to decide that truthfulness of that. God does. And he has spoken it over you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's true of you. This is who you are. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. We think that we're going to change who we are by trying harder to be what God would want us to be. And, and actually what God says, no, I'm going to define you anew. 
I am going to redefine who you are. And when you understand that more fully, that is going to change what you do in the world. That's going to affect how you move through this world and the relationships that you have. I saw in the news um, Prince Harry, you know, from UK, yes, one <laughs> was out jogging with homeless people this last week. And you look at him, and he looks very regal in his smart jogging clothes that probably cost a lot of money. And he's jogging with this group of homeless people who I guess are kind of trying to get their life together, and so exercise is part of that, and they're going through. And then it dawns on you that apart from his inheritance, he's a homeless person too, right? The prince. He's only the prince because of what he's received. And the same thing is true for us. It's just because of what God has done. It's just because of what he said. It's just because of what he's, he's proclaimed over us, that we are who we are. And, and I think this is one of the hardest things for us to, to, to accept. It's one of the hardest things about the Christian faith. It's not, it's not even doing the right things sometimes. It's just accepting who you are in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, then it's amazing how the right things sometimes start to come out more fully. You release kind of the opportunity and the ability to do the things that God would want you to do. But first and foremost is who you are. You're a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood prophet. That's who we are. God, would you help us? Just pause and pray. Would you help us to receive our new identity? Right now, as we sit here together, pour out your spirit. Each one of us is in Christ. If we've come to faith in Christ, we are in Christ. And we are, as you enable us, we are prophet, priest, and king. To follow in your footsteps. We are as you declare over us. And I fear that too many of us are relying on ourselves, relying on our work, and failing to receive our new identity in you. Would you impress these words into our souls right now. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Amen. Now, that was just a a pause to pray. Um, I'm not done, but I'm almost done, so... (laughs) It's not going to be too much longer. I want you to sit. If this is an area of your life where you're really struggling, I want you to sit with this this week. And in your home group, you know, pray for each other. Pray this scripture over one another. We've got to understand, first and foremost, who we are in Christ. And it's out of that that things begin to change.
and out of your identity, then you be who you are. And this includes in your workplace. I love what Tim Keller says. Um, He says, think like a prophet, serve like a priest, plan like a king. This is your identity. Now, out of that, you work it out and you think like a prophet. You serve like a priest and you plan like a king. You can always be a priest. This is the good thing. Because the priest is the example, right? And so when you live out in your workplace the example of Christ, modeling integrity, sacrifice for others, um, um, uh, you know, um, you can, you can, you can sometimes even share your faith um, as, 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 a, as a prophet. Excuse me. Did I say priest? I'm talking about prophet. Um, you speak up for the truth, um, for, the, for the least. You speak up for the least. You, you speak up for the good. Um, sometimes you can, you can share your faith um, with others. Uh, you get opportunities when, you, when you're living it out, when you're being the example, to, have, to, to actually share what it is that informs who you are. And some of you say, you know, I, I can't do that in my workplace. It's too dangerous. Um, and I would just say to encourage you to push yourself a little bit on that front because I've seen some amazing things, even by people in this congregation taking opportunities to share their faith in environments that you would think it would be very impossible to do that, to step up and to be the prophet, um, in environments where you think it would be impossible to do that. Um, I remember uh, John Ewoki over here speaking in front of, you didn't know I was going to call you out, but um, speaking, and I didn't really know either, um, speaking in front of uh, 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 just like hundreds and hundreds of people, teachers throughout the whole district, um, giving a, a speech and finding a way to weave the gospel into what he said. It was beautiful to be able to be there and watch that. I mean, think of others who are in, in difficult environments and still figuring out how to bring the gospel to bear. So don't give up on that in our environment. I know it seems intimidating sometimes. Uh, but you get to be a priest. You get to be an example to model integrity, to sacrifice for others. You get to be the prophet, to speak truth. Um, sometimes that's the way you influence, and sometimes you influence as the king. Um, you're in charge of structure. Some of you are manager types. You're over other people, and you get to, you get to think about policies. You get to think about the way that the, the, the work is done. You get to think about creating an environment that reflects God's kingdom. And that's how you get to influence your workplace. And so we have these in following Christ. We just like Christ, we've got all, and when all these are connected in you, then that's your witness in the workplace. When you're, when you're being the priestly example and you're sacrificing for others, when you're, when you're being the, the prophet who, who speaks true things and looks for opportunities to do that, and when you're being the king who, whenever you have opportunity to lead, you do so in a way that honors God with integrity then that becomes your witness. And in so doing, you become salt in the world. You become light in the world. Lord, make us salt and make us light. We need desperately to understand and to accept who you have defined us to be. We are your treasured possession, and, and, and that is hard to fathom. The riches of our identity in you are endless. The inheritance is massive. So let us sink into the proclamations you've made over us to define us, to redefine us 
in contrast to the way the world wants continually to define us, to make us about what we do. You want to make us about who we are in you. So do your deep work in us, we ask this week. Allowing us to be defined more fully by what you say over us. And we'll be surprised to see how that changes the way we act, the way we live, and the way we meet the challenges of our workplace. And we will give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.